You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. At the beginning of this podcast, I ask, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? While the To Dine For podcast provides the restaurants and the people, where are you getting your wine? Uncork.com is an online wine shop that brings the best part of buying wine right into your home. This carefully curated collection of wines range in price to accommodate every budget, from everyday best buys all the way to very special occasion wines. Uncork.com features family-owned wineries from all corners of the globe, California to France, Washington to Italy. If you're looking to broaden your wine horizons, learn about new producers and get great customer service, just like your local wine shop, head over to uncork.com. Use code TDF20 to get 20% off your first purchase. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you listen to this podcast, you know I love a great founder story. That's why I love the story of Kentucky 74 from Spiritless, Three young women from Louisville, Kentucky, who had the idea for a healthier bourbon. Healthier in the sense it has no alcohol. So you can have an evening cocktail with no guilt and almost no calories. It is so delicious. I love to squeeze an orange slice, a couple of dashes of bitters, shake it with ice, and then strain it into a beautiful glass and just kick back. If you'd like to try a bottle of Spiritless, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For, the podcast, where we meet the world's most fascinating and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Norma Kamali. The process of aging is really a powerful one that I would love more and more people to appreciate. Norma Kamali is an American fashion designer and pioneer. She is best known for the sleeping bag coat. She was born in New York City and grew up On the Upper East Side, she studied at the Fashion Institute of Technology and earned a degree in illustration. In 1969, she opened a small boutique. She became known for her line of clothing made of real silk parachute material. She designed Farrah Fawcett's swimsuit in that iconic 1976 poster. She also designed a bathing suit worn by Whitney Houston on the back cover of her 1985 debut album. She was the first designer to create an online store on eBay, and she also produced a collection for Walmart. She still lives in New York City, and she still is designing at 76 years old. I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with Norma Kamali. Hi, Norma. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very good. Fantastic. Well, I am really excited to hear more about your career journey. I've just been doing a lot of research on your background, and my gosh, we could take this conversation so many different directions. Um, I'm going to start the way I start all of my podcasts by 
asking the guests their favorite restaurant. You grew up on the Upper East Side of New York. You have been living in a world with delicious restaurants your entire life. So I'm fascinated to hear where you would choose and where you would take me as your favorite spot. Well, it's a little bit of a tricky question because I'm not a strict vegan person, but I do favor plant-based diets. Great. And I've come to know and love Jean George and ABCV yes. is a fantastic and yes. one of my favorites. So, and I actually interviewed him for my radio show at one point because he did so much research and used dietitians and experts in healthy lifestyle and, and did a lot of research before he created the menu there. It's really quite spectacular. Not only is he a classic New York chef, but he has uh, sustained many decades of deliciousness. And he yeah. has been he's been able to be consistently good. Deepak Chopra chose ABC Kitchen as his favorite spot on, oh, our, really? on my TV show. And then- Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and Alex Garnaschelli, who I recently interviewed, says Jean-Georges was her favorite restaurant. So you were in very good company. And I yeah. I appreciate you sharing that as, as a lifelong New Yorker and as someone who yeah. really knows good food. So thank you, Norma. I'd love to dive in. You went to the Fashion Institute of Technology. You really studied to be a fashion illustrator, but had a penchant for painting as well. And at one point, you were also a flight attendant. Is that right? No, I, I studied at FIT for fashion illustration because my mother convinced me that being a painter was the road to poverty. And wow. she loved me enough to save me from poverty. So I got a scholarship to FIT for illustration. My first job interview upon graduating was so horrific. And, and I really worked so hard on my portfolio. I was very proud of it. And the interview was a man sitting with his feet on his desk eating a tuna sandwich who in turn asked me to turn around for him as the beginning of the interview. Oh, so, dear God. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I turned around because I, he was the power in the room and I heard my mother saying, you got to get a job. And I just ran out in tears, humiliated yes. that I allowed myself to be bullied by this man I was too embarrassed to talk about it. I told my mother I didn't get the job. I looked in the New York Times classified section, which is where you would find a job at the time. And there was a job working in the office at an airline, Northwest Orient Airlines. And I thought, I want to travel. I'm going to take that job if I can get it. And I was shocked that I got it because I had zero office skills. And I worked in the office on a Univac computer in this, this, or this is 60s, mid 60s. And I traveled every weekend for four years to London round trip for $29. So that job that you found in the classifieds really turned out to be life defining. And the lesson is these really horrible, horrible experiences we have in our lives, whether it's through a relationship or a job interview or something, it, I really am convinced after having many of these through my life, that it's the universe saying, nope, not for you. Mm -hmm. You got to go that way. Mm -hmm. And if you stay and you don't pay attention to the universe, it's a dead end. But if you just say, okay, this is not for me. I don't want to work in the garment industry. I don't want to be around people like this. I'm going to see the world. I've seen myself in that situation, but redefined with a different story at different points in my life that were the most meaningful experiences of my life. And I forgive these people 
a hundred percent because they saved me mm-hmm. from a road I shouldn't have gone on. That is a beautiful way at looking at some of the times in our lives that we shake our head at. And um, they, it's a really evolved way of thinking. Right. Take me to your first boutique and designing. What was that like? Well, I'm at the airline and I'm traveling and bringing clothes back from London. And at the time, nobody in New York was showing their knees because for one, we were wearing garter belts and stockings Mm -hmm. and short skirts were certainly not even thought about. And London, on the other hand, was just beginning to see, I mean, I literally saw gray London turn into colorful London. I was there through the transition and the clothes that I started to see had just never been done before. Mm -hmm. And skirts mid-thigh were just unheard of. Like who would ever wear anything like that on the streets, especially since the undergarments are garter belts and and stockings. So I started to bring back these types of things. And my friends were going crazy, like bring more, bring more. And so I thought I need to open a store because this is crazy. It's it's really an unbelievable kind of energy that's happening around clothing. So I looked in the Times once again, which was sort of like Google. Um, <laughs> I looked in the Times in the classified and there were spaces available and there was a, a store, a basement store on 53rd Street between 2nd and 3rd. And at the time, there were other sort of little quirky shops. And part of my, you know, the baby boomers that were just starting to bloom. And so I took the shop for $285 a month. And I painted the floor a pattern. I got snakeskin wallpaper from the Salvation Army. And I would bring back the clothes. And then there was some point where I thought I need to make some ideas I have. And my mother used to make clothes for me and we fought constantly because she wanted me to wear classic Chesterfield coats (laughs) and I did not want to. You clearly did not. I mean, for people who are listening right now, Norma looks amazing. She is in a, a leopard fabulous blazer and her glasses, which are slightly shaded, match her uh, blazer. And she has this long, dark hair. And she really looks like the picture of New York City elegance. And I... I I'm, let, let, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I think it's really important that you began with just a great eye for fashion. You knew what was working and you started the boutique bringing stuff from London to sell. And at some point, you, the designer in you came out. When did that happen? Well, when I was going to London and, and remember it was a four year period of going back and forth. And I really felt I had some ideas. This is a jumpsuit, by the way. Oh, (laughs) leave it to the fashion designer. It is a jumpsuit, a leopard jumpsuit. It looks like a blazer on top and continues down. Fabulous. A jacket jumpsuit. So I started to, I beg my mother to help me make some of these clothes. And I didn't know how to sew because I studied anatomy and I was drawing all the time and painting. And so she helped me make some, some of these pieces. And then I started getting suede and leather and doing whip stitching and stuff like that. And so my clothes were mixing in with the clothes I was bringing back and they were selling very quickly. Mm. I mean, selling before anything else. Interesting. It was really interesting. And I all of a sudden realized that I found my passion and I was loving coming up with these ideas that weren't anywhere and that nobody was doing and and I couldn't stop. And I learned how to sew. I learned how to make patterns. I then had pattern makers working for me and I learned how to make patterns because they would tell me what I wanted couldn't be done. And I said, mm. everything can be done. So I figured I better learn to show them it could be done. And so I'm very grateful for 
being forced to do that to prove because they were all so much older than I was. I was so young and inexperienced that they wanted to sort of tell me what I didn't know. And I wanted to say, but no, you can do this. <laughs> well, you were a woman in your 20s at a time when you didn't have role models you know, everywhere to, to look to, mm-hmm. just an inspiration. So when you think about that time of your life, when you're just getting going with your designing, what were some of the biggest obstacles you had to face and how were you able to overcome them? There's an important story here in that at 19, I married an Iranian student who was beyond gorgeous, a great dancer. I'm sorry, what other reason is there to get married but that? So I got married. Um, My mother was a little menopausal at the time, too. So that was another good reason because you didn't just live with somebody at that point. You married them. And I remember crying the day I got married because I didn't want to be married at all. I never even saw it as something I wanted to do in my life. I just knew there were other things I wanted to do. But I got married. And like I said, he was beautiful and he was lovely. But we were so young. And then we soon grew apart and became two completely different people. I think the power that he saw that I had in that I loved something and I was flourishing in it. I was, nobody knew me because I was in the sample room and everybody knew him. So it wasn't that I was trying to steal the limelight, but I found something that was just so extraordinarily important for me. And I think that that he really got threatened by that. And so, you know, we started dating the sales girls and mm. it just became one of those where I finally had to leave mm. everything that I built, all of the things that I'd collected. I had to leave because I had to save my soul. I just, mm. I, I did not feel that being treated in that way because of his own fears and insecurities was going to be a benefit to me. Mm. And so Here's another one of those motivating stories. Mm-hmm. The sales girl that he was dating, mm-hmm. who I had fired and he rehired, came <laughs> to the sample room to tell me that she would be designing some things and that she wanted to tell me what they were so I could make them. Oh, dear. And I looked at her <laughs> and, and I was a very quiet person. And I mean, you never heard me yell or anything. And I said, oh, okay, thank you. And the ceiling over my cutting table just fell. And I said to myself, Confucius say, when ceiling fall <laughs> on head, time to leave. And I... And I Did it really fall? Did the ceiling really fall? I swear to you. Wow. And I, so I, I left and we had already separated and I had $98 in the bank. That was part of the control by n- not giving me a salary or anything. And, and I had an apartment that had a mattress, mm. no curtains, nothing. And I knew I had my freedom, which I was really happy about, but I was just, I I had no plan. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I think I cried all night. And one magical thing that happened was I never met any press. Nobody really knew me because I was working day and night. And there was one woman who was the editor at the LA Times. And she insisted on meeting me for lunch for like a six month period. And I made the appointment and it coincidentally was the next day. And I didn't have a number to get in touch with her. So I met her, my face is swollen from crying. And she looked at me and said, what happened to you? And I never told anybody about the craziness that was going on in my life. I was very secretive. And I just told her everything. And 
I realized when she said, well, I'm going to help you, that if I would have told people before, I probably would have gotten help, but I was so Mm. embarrassed by it that I didn't. That's so interesting. Yeah. And, and so that was a big learning experience that you have to tell your story. You have to communicate. And I think about the girl that came in and she tried to reach me twice since then, years later. And of course, there was no reason for me to communicate with her, but I thank her just the way I thank that terrible man Mm. for I thank her a hundred times. I am so grateful for her pushing me out. I never would have left. I never, I would have stayed in a horrible situation because all the fabrics, everything that I put together was there and my identity was in that space. And she forced me out and without her doing that, the next part of my life never would have happened. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm or your life, You can count on your local American national agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American national companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. At the beginning of this podcast, I ask, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? While the To Dine For podcast provides the restaurants and the people, where are you getting your wine? Uncork.com is an online wine shop that brings the best part of buying wine right into your home. This carefully curated collection of wines range in price to accommodate every budget, from everyday best buys all the way to very special occasion wines. Uncork.com features family-owned wineries from all corners of the globe, California to France, Washington to Italy. If you're looking to broaden your wine horizons, learn about new producers and get great customer service, just like your local wine shop, head over to uncork.com. Use code TDF20 to get 20% off your first purchase. Now back to our conversation. That is truly fascinating. And thank you for sharing that because it, you know, we're here, we are talking about your career journey, but you had to explain that story because now I want you to take me from $98 in your bank account 
to you really having to, even though you'd already started your career as a designer, really having to reinvent yourself yeah. and to begin again. Uh, you know, we're talking about the 70s, right? We're talking about a time where there was a feminist movement and I was so engrossed in my work that I wasn't part of the movement, but I was living the movement. Yes. I didn't think I had any business sense at all because we were convinced that men took care of business and women did other things. And I realized if people were going to help me and people were going to, the bank would not come near me, obviously, because first of all, the bank wouldn't give any woman money at that right. time. Right. But when you have $98 and a few <laughs> press clippings, I don't think they're going to go. Right. Right. So I, I basically borrowed from friends and family and people like this woman, Mary Lou Luther, who is an extraordinary woman and helped me get sewing machines and was really uh, open doors for me to have communication with people. I started to realize that I needed to pay everybody back and I needed to make sure they felt good about their investment. And I would send a note to everyone each week with a check in it, or if there were, there's no check that I could do, a note apologizing for not having money to pay them then, but making sure they heard from me. But at this point, Norma, are, do you, have you reopened a new boutique? What have yeah. you, are you, are you designing? You know, w once you, you walk away, what is the next steps from a business standpoint? So I borrowed money. I found a space. I opened the space. I opened a sample room in the space and continued what I was doing, but without the craziness. Yes. In fact, there was a, a girl working with me originally. And when I left, she said, I want to come with you. And I said, I legally, I don't think I can take you. Mm -hmm. But eventually she did come. She's still with me now, by oh the way. Oh my goodness. Yeah. She's still working with you? Absolutely. She's still the head of my sample room. And so she came and I was able to sort of get everything back in place. And I really understood that I had to know what I was designing. I know I had to know that a creative free spirit was very important as part of my personality. But I also understood I had to know what people wanted so that I could pay the rent mm -hmm. and not compromising or doing styles that weren't mine. But I, I learned how to be a better designer by running the business. And that was really great, a great experience for me. And in a world where there were no women that I could go to, for example, a lot of men were extremely helpful to me and very kind and generous. Did they manspeak? Yes. Did they treat me as if I was an infant, late, nice little girl? Yes. <laughs> but you know what? So what? They right. Were, You'll take the advice. Get, talk to me, whatever, mansplain. Okay. But I learned so much from their help. And like I said, I have many interesting stories about being a female designer who runs business in a man's world, in a man's time, that some of them were painful and, um, and difficult. And others, I look at now and I just laugh mm -hmm. at how crazy, how like, who would believe some of the stuff? But the, all of those experiences never broke my back. They yes. never were so terrible that I couldn't go on. I think they only encouraged me to be stronger and to be smarter and to know better. But, you know, some of it comes with pain, but a lot of it, once you know it, is so empowering that you say, okay, that's 
that's how you learn. Well, you mentioned that, you know, in the 1970s, it, my mother mentioned this to me once. She said that there was just such a strong mentality that this is what men did and this is what women did. Yeah. And it was very difficult to kind of traverse that. But mm-hmm. you did. You did, Norma. So w- when was it that you realized, I can be good at business? I am a business person, even though you have the heart of, a, of mm-hmm. an artist. Well, first of all, one thing you have to remember is women raised their sons and women taught their sons that they were better than their daughters, that they were better. Women still do that, Mm -hmm. not as much. So there's a lot to be said for the mentality shift that's still in progress. Duly noted. Yeah. The business part of it, I realized I really enjoy. I mean, I spend so much of my day talking about sales and um, statistics, goals. I love it. I Mm. absolutely love everything about it and the challenges. And there's a creativity in the business side of any company. And I think blending the two gives me such an advantage that my business today is thriving. And I think because I'm experienced, I have an insight that I didn't have when I was younger. And I have the balance of business and design and creativity to give me that little edge. And It doesn't mean everything I do is perfect. I make mistakes. We make mistakes. We had to, we had to get through COVID and that was so challenging, but it made the company so much better Mm -hmm. and really listening to smart people and getting advice and constantly questioning success. And like we have success right now, but now's the time to be more nervous about anything because when you get bigger, the problems get bigger, the Mm -hmm. issues get bigger. So how do you manage that? So every day, that's our challenge now. How are we dealing with expansion? You have been credited with a lot of like major fashion moments, like your parachute coat or the Farrah Fawcett bathing suit. I'm just wondering when you look back on your career trajectory, when did you feel like you really got some momentum and you were able to really go from, you know, up and coming designer who's working a boutique and learning the ropes to really, you know, hitting your stride? Well, up until the point when I left, I was pretty much an underground designer. A lot of people, you know, Bloomingdale's would come in and copy my buy buy styles. And I would see big full pages in Bloomingdale's, but then they were making all the money. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent here. But when I went on my own, I did a collection of swimwear cover-ups. And I did them all in gray terry and in sweatshirt fabric. And I did it in gray sweatshirt fabric because I love to swim. And I would always wear my brother's sweatshirt when I got out of the water because it would absorb the water. But those sweatshirts were available in the Army Navy stores or in boys' men's stores. So I bought a whole bunch of the gray fabric and I made some cover-ups, but then I thought, wow, what about an evening gown in this? Wow, what about a suit in this? What about a jumpsuit? What about a coat? What about, and before you knew it, I had 36 pieces in gray sweatshirt when nobody was using sweatshirt at all. We were just coming off Studio 54, color, glitter. Nobody was, that wasn't in the wind. And So I did it and I was so tired of being copied and not making any money and I needed to make money. And so I contacted Women's Wear Daily and I I said, I need advice. Can somebody come here and tell me what I should do? Somebody from Women's Wear came who was a, a pretty higher up person. And I said, this is a collection I just did. And 
I know, I know it's new and I know it's good. I just don't know how to distribute it. What do I do? So they said, don't show this to anyone. Mm. (laughs) And we want to introduce you to some people so you can do a license agreement and do distribution. So I met uh, Sydney Kimmel from Jones Apparel. And I didn't have a lawyer. A friend of mine was a lawyer. And I said, you've got to help me. What do I say? What do I do? And he gave me these tips. He, this is the royalty. This is the minimum guarantee. This is this. And I had a little stenographer's pad. And I sat in a meeting with Sidney Kimmel. And he said, so can I see the line? I said, well, women's work basically said I shouldn't show you. Mm-hmm. And they he said, well, they told me I have to do it. So I'm assuming it's really good. And he said, would you want to do a license agreement? I said, yeah. And he said, well, what do you want? And I took out the pad and I said, I would like this minimum guarantee, this royalty, and this for advertising. And he said, okay. We shook hands. And two weeks later, we were in business. Wow. And that line was a very revolutionary concept Mm -hmm. and influenced, I think, and a lot of people tell me, influenced the casual dressing that we live with now that's called athleisure. And that collection eventually became a global collection. I had 30 licenses and people began to know my name globally. And Norma, that's so right now. You know, here we are two years after the pandemic began. I mean, athleisure (laughs) is it. I mean, this was you how many years ago? Wow. And it never went away. It actually continued. And just like the sleeping bag coat, when I did the sleeping bag coat, I just made a coat out of my sleeping bag because I used to love to go camping. And then I made them out of sleeping bags originally. And then I made them... And I've never not made a sleeping bag coat since 1974. Every year I make new coats. They've never gone off the line and they are very strong. And obviously they've influenced a lot of other big puffy coats that you see. And so some things I've learned are timeless. And my biggest asset is my intuition for timeless. So Mm. I I think I can look at that today and say, that's probably the best thing I do. Well, first of all, two things that I, I just took from what you said to me. And one is that you were led by your own personal passions, not only for your love of swimming and how you like to get out of the water. That is what inspired what was so revolutionary. And second of all, your love of camping and hiking led to the right. you know the iconic coat that you created. So right. it really did, all of it came from you and your own personal passions and interests. Right now, where you stand, when you look back on your career and where you are, what gives you the most pleasure right now? Oh, well... I mean, first of all, I love my job. I I love it. And I don't know if there's something wrong with me that I still love what I've been doing for 55 years, but I I find new challenges and new ideas. I know that I'm supposed to be serving women. Mm-hmm. I know that that's what my job is. And so I also look at the healthy lifestyle aspect of my interests and sharing that with women as well. My book was basically is basically a handbook for women. So a lot of what I do is just an intuitive sense that I'm supposed to serve women. Mm -hmm. And I don't have children. And I didn't get married again, because this is so much my passion. I have a wonderful relationship that I is very important in my life. And I'm so grateful to have that. I met this, my soulmate at 65 and Amazing. I'm 76 now. So we've been together 11 years. Congratulations. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'm super lucky that that's happened, but I have things that I'm looking forward to doing too working on two projects now that are 
so exciting. And I'm so lucky that I still love what I do and that there are some other people that like it too. And, and that I try to live up to their expectations of the quality and the styling and the fit of, of the clothes and the quality of the products. You mentioned that one of your missions now and something you feel intuitively is to serve women. So I'll ask you a question. I'm sure you've been asked many times, but it's it's still very, very important. And that is, what would you tell a young designer, someone who has a creative path ahead of them um, that is going into business, that is going into a world of creativity, some advice specifically for women? I wouldn't give the same advice that I needed when I started because the world is so different now. Mm. The way we communicate is so different. Everything is global immediately. And I also think somebody who is maybe 20 or 18 or 22 thinking that this is what they want to do must have the passion to want to do it to do it at this time because this is a very difficult time. It's uh, there. The challenges today are extraordinary. So having a tremendous amount of passion is required and <laughs> you have to have patience because in the world we're in today, everything has to happen immediately or it didn't happen. So <laughs> there still is one thing that's important and that's patience and knowledge. But I also think that this 20 year old is going to be coming in their own at a time when the planet we're on, which is taxed to death right now, is going to be taxed even more. And we may be looking at space travel and living on other planets or our lives will be so different mm-hmm. when they're going into the next 20, 30 years yes. that you have to think about clothing, not just for comfort and decoration, but for function beyond helping you run faster or feeling cool. We have to think into this other universe of what will life be on another planet? How will we get there? What will we wear? What will be important for us? Is the planet too hot? Is it too cold? So I think Mm, the person has to have a mind that's looking to the future and thinking about fashion in a very new way and I'm, I'm not using the word futuristic because futuristic implies silver space clothes, but <laughs> yes. futuristic, futuristic in function and in purpose. One of the things that I'm going to take away from this conversation with you is your ability to use the term what if or what would it look like? Like when you were describing creating that terry cloth cover up. And then you said, oh, but what if you could do an evening gown in it? And to me, Mm. that sounds like an essential tool for anyone who wants to live a creative life is to start with an idea and then imagine it in different ideations. I'm wondering if you had any other kind of tips or tricks to help people be more creative. You know, I think so much happens in our childhood and in the environments we're in and with our parents. And it doesn't mean you have to have the perfect parents and have a mother and a father and like the whole thing, but something in that environment, in that early environment is significant in our lives that forces us in a, in a path that we have no idea we're going to go on. And I know my mother never looked at anything as impossible. Mm. Everything to her was possible, almost to the point of extreme where you would think, oh my God, she's so spooky. You know, and I was like, mom, other mothers aren't like you. She'd say too bad, you know. (laughs) Oh, I wish I had a mother like everybody else's. They're so normal. And I look at that influence where 
anything is possible, just do it. Just anything is possible, just go ahead and do it. And I didn't know better. I just, that went into my head and that became part of my programming. So there are some things, and I, of course, thought my mother was just too kooky to be my mother. And you look at your childhood and you think, oh, my God, this is so terrible, my whatever. And then you think about the lesson you learned, or maybe it's some, some character who was terrible and made you miserable, but you learned survival skills. You right. learned these wonderful things. And again, it's thinking about that and appreciating it and using it to sort of imprint how you're going to behave in, in your life. So I'm so grateful for realizing that I look at everything as a possibility. I rarely look at things as it's not possible. So when the pattern maker told me it's not possible, I was like, no, no. <laughs> That's not what mom would say. <laughs> not, not happening. The program says everything's possible. You Do you have a spiritual practice? You know, I I use meditation and I have through the years as a, a time to sort of wash the day away, but also to think about something I need to learn or something I need to understand about myself. Or I also use it, you know, there's a, a, a very special woman in my sample room whose mother is Ukrainian. And her father and her brother are Russian, and they're in Russia. Mm. And her mother is in the Ukraine. And her mother had an appointment at the U.S. Embassy for tomorrow mm. to come here. And I think about her, and all I can think of is my meditation has to be for her. Has to be for her. Mm-hmm. And so while it's not spiritual in everybody's sense. It's my way of praying. It's my way of meditating, obviously. Sometimes I'll do a meditation that's an active meditation where I'm moving in a rhythmic sort of movement. And I I work off energy that feels angry or feels, you know, frustrated. And then I finish and I just sit and sort of let my mind clear. But I do dedicate my meditation to people or there's always somebody that you can think of to give them some of that time. So so I guess that is uh, a spiritual practice. You know, I don't normally ask that question to guests, but I asked it to you because it appears that at every turn, when you have the situation like the the man who told you to turn around on that first interview, it's almost like every negative experience, you have given it a blessing because you know that it has brought you to where you are now, which is a good place. It's almost like you have thanked every experience in your life, um, well, which is very uh, evolved. That's because I'm older and wiser. <laughs> if you would have asked me then... <laughs> Not so much. No, 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 no. I, I don't mean, want to say older and wiser. I'm going to say evolved no, and transcendent. And, and I, I am very proud to be 76. And I'm, I love power of experience. It's just, there is nothing like it. There's nothing like, you know, I could look at everybody's collection in a season and I can tell you, which ones are really new, which ones are really innovative. Mm. I can look at or listen to someone who looks like they're a star on the rise. And I can tell. can feel it. Not, not for any other reason, but that I've had that much more time on the planet. Mm. So the process in, of aging is really a powerful one that I would love more and more people to appreciate and to embrace and to be thankful for and to celebrate. Yeah. 
And, you know, yesterday I interviewed Dr. Gundry, who has a new book coming out. And there's so much we can do for longevity and for a healthy lifestyle, even if we're predisposed to inheriting problems that are just problematic for a long life, you can still live a better life if you try some of these things. And and I think that that's an important part of the story of aging with power is that you have to try to do as much as you can to give your body a chance to take on those extra years. So I enjoy listening to people who have done research and are, are very informed about practices we can use. So he's, that's a, a good book that he's writing, he, he's um, launching next week, that is very helpful for someone who's thinking about aging with power. I love that. Aging with power. I want to do that. I, Norma, thank you so much. Cheers to you. Thank Cheers you. to your career and everything that you're uh, vulnerable enough to share and to celebrate. So thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at To Dine For With Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.